Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Welcome back to the award-winning Basketball History 101 part of the Sports History Network. I am your host, Rick Loiza, and this is the podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. We are bringing old-school basketball to a new-school audience. And today, we bring you the rest of the story of Moses Malone, the last ABA player to retire from the NBA. In last week's episode, we talked about Moses' upbringing and how it was that he went from high school straight to the pros, the first player in modern history to do so, and by modern, I mean post-1960. When we left off last week, Moses had only just finished high school and then signed a contract for five years and $1 million to play for the Utah Stars of the ABA. When I think of a high school player going straight to the pros, I usually think that the coach is probably not going to start that player right away. The leap from high school to the pros is massive. The player needs a little bit more time to adjust to playing in a grown man's world. But not Moses. He was a starter from day one, and he was as good as advertised. Being considerably younger than his competition, Moses averaged 19 points and 15 rebounds per game and made the ABA All-Star Game as a rookie. Unfortunately, he did not win the Rookie of the Year award. There was another rookie on the Spirits of St. Louis who also made the All-Star Game and was averaging 24 points per game. Now that guy was Marvin Bad News Barnes. By the way, I have an entire episode on Bad News Barnes. It is episode three if you want to go all the way back and check that out. Now, getting back to Moses, by all accounts, he had a fantastic rookie year. He proved that he was as good as any center in the ABA despite his youth. He was an absolute monster on the boards, and that is how he got his nickname, the Chairman of the Boards. It is a very clever nickname, but not one that is used very often to describe him. Now that he had his first year of professional basketball, under his belt, what would he do for an encore? He was set to return to the Utah Stars, but the Stars were really struggling financially despite having Moses in the lineup. For the 1975-1976 season, Moses started it with the Stars as mentioned, but they had to fold the operation and go completely out of business. But the owners of the Stars also had debts that they had to pay, so they sold Moses' contract to the Spirits of St. Louis for cash to pay off those debts. The Spirits were happy to have Moses and paired him with Bad News Barnes, a power forward and the previous season's Rookie of the Year. Moses and Bad News were a formidable front court that would be a nightmare for any opponent to deal with. Now add to that Maurice Lucas, who was also on that team, and Caldwell Jones. That was a really crowded front court and everyone was battling for court time. And just as a side note, future coach Mike D'Antoni was also on that team as a backup point guard. He got to witness the chaos of too many talented front court players all trying to get as many minutes as possible. One thing that is true in almost any team sport is this. You can have all the talent in the world on your team, but if your players do not have chemistry, then it is not going to work. That is what the spirits lacked. Chemistry. 
Despite all of that talent that they had on the team, they finished the season with a 35 and 49 record. And that was good enough, or rather bad enough, for sixth place out of only seven teams that were able to finish the season. Then in the summer of 1976 came the merger of the ABA and NBA. I have an episode that covers the merger more completely. It is episode 29 if you want to go and check that out. So I'll be somewhat brief here. At the time of the merger, the ABA had seven teams still alive and ready to join the NBA, but the NBA only wanted to accept four teams. That meant that three of those teams were not going to be accepted and would accept buyout agreements. The Virginia Squires and the Kentucky Colonels took a flat buyout and closed down their teams. The Spirits of St. Louis negotiated for a percentage of all future TV revenue in perpetuity. That means forever. But in the end, it means that those three teams were all willing to go away. The four teams that were accepted from the ABA into the NBA were the San Antonio Spurs, the Denver Nuggets, the Indiana Pacers, and the New York Nets. But what to do with the players on those three teams that closed down? After all, Moses was one of those players. The Spirits of St. Louis had closed and he had no team. The NBA created something called the Dispersal Draft. All of the existing NBA teams held a special draft for these ABA free agents who came from a team that decided to take the buyout and go away. Moses was selected by the Portland Trailblazers, along with his Spirits teammate Maurice Lucas. This created a problem for the Trailblazers because they already had Bill Walton, who was still healthy at the time. There was only so much room at the front court positions. They liked Walton and Lucas together, but did not really have a spot for Moses. He was too good to have him come off the bench, so they decided to trade Moses to the Buffalo Braves for help at a different position. But the Braves were not all that interested in Moses either. After just two games with the Braves where he hardly even played, the Braves traded Moses to the Houston Rockets where he would stay for six seasons. So let me recap that a little bit. In the 12 months between the fall of 1975 and in the fall of 1976, Moses was part of five different teams. He started in the fall of 1975 as a member of the Utah Stars, and then he went to the Spirits of St. Louis when the Stars went out of business. Then the merger happened, and he was very quickly moved from Portland to Buffalo to Houston. That's pretty amazing to have him part of five teams in a 12-month period. But now, he was settled in with his new team for the long haul. The Rockets were ready to build their team around Moses, along with his rebounding and scoring. Now, this is a good place to take a break, and I'll be right back with the rest of Moses' NBA career. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. At the Sports History Network, we're all about sports yesteryear, and so we're so pleased to introduce you to Row One, an online memorabilia gallery and shop that brings your sports history to life anywhere. The Row One gallery includes over 5,200 gorgeously reproduced prints of team posters, game program covers, game tickets, advertisements, and more in baseball, pro and college football, pro and college basketball, and more. And any gallery item may be printed in a variety of sizes on wood, metal, canvas, acrylic, or poster paper. And in Row One Shop, check out the thousands more of unique Unique items with a retro and historical designs dating back to 1876, including t-shirts, long sleeve shirts, phone cases, mugs, blankets, pillows, towels, and even shower curtains. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com, R-O-W number one, for access to the full Row One catalog and for gallery prints and gift items, plus get a 15% discount off all prints on the Row One Pictorum Gallery with coupon code SHN15. Follow the link on the show notes.
Welcome back to the show and let us continue with Moses. Right before the break, we shared the two-year career of Moses Malone in the ABA. But the merger had just happened and in the end, Moses ended up on the Houston Rockets. Now keep in mind that if Moses had gone to college, he would have been in his junior year or third year. The NBA did not take players before they finished college. But because of Moses' interesting journey, he was in the NBA two full years before he normally would have been allowed to. The first year in the NBA with the Rockets was really an adjustment for Moses. He was still only 21 years old, playing against guys like Bill Walton, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Artis Gilmore, Bob McAdoo, Elvin Hayes, Wes Sunseld, and Swen Nader. These were some of the best rebounders in the NBA, and they were not going to make things easy for Moses. In that first year in the NBA, Moses averaged 13 points and 13 rebounds per game, and that is very respectable, but not all-star level. Now, in his second year with the Rockets, which was 1977-78, he started a streak of being selected to 12 straight All-Star games. He made the adjustment to the new league and was playing some really dominant basketball. He increased his numbers to 19 points and 15 rebounds per game. But in his third year with the Rockets in 78-79, things really came together for Moses. He raised his numbers even more to 25 points and 18 rebounds per game. He dominated the boards and the low post, and he won his very first league MVP award. With that award he was now officially the best player in the NBA and he was able to maintain that level of consistency for over a decade. Two years later in 1981 he led the Rockets all the way to the NBA Finals where they lost four games to two to the much superior Larry Bird Celtics. In 1982, he averaged 31 points and 15 rebounds per game. He also led the league in minutes played, and it was such a dominant performance that he was awarded his second league MVP award. Some thought that with just a few tweaks, the Rockets could get themselves back into the finals, but the Rockets were going through an ownership change, and the new owners had a different vision for the team. They were open to trade talks. Never before had a team announced their willingness to trade the reigning MVP. Their thinking was that they could get a lot in return. After all, he was the league MVP. Meanwhile, in Philadelphia, the 76ers had just lost the NBA Finals to the Showtime Lakers. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar had his way in those finals. The 76ers used a combination of Daryl Dawkins and Caldwell Jones to defend Kareem, but it didn't matter. Kareem just skyhooked them to death. The 76ers management knew that if they were going to win a championship, they had to upgrade at the center position. They had so many talented players at the other positions. They had the illustrious all-time great Julius Irving at small forward. They had Hall of Famer Maurice Cheeks at the point guard. They had another Hall of Famer and defensive specialist Bobby Jones at power forward. And they had two-time all-star Andrew Toney at the shooting guard. Like I said, the 76ers were set at the other four positions. They just needed someone who could battle with Kareem. So the 76ers contacted the Rockets and they made a trade. Moses went to the 76ers and in return, the Rockets got Caldwell Jones and a first round pick. The 76ers also sent Daryl Dawkins to the Nets for more depth on the bench. The 76ers were now set. The five starting positions consisted of four Hall of Famers and a two-time All-Star. More importantly, they had someone who could give Kareem problems in the middle. By the way, this is still the only time in NBA history that a team traded away the reigning MVP. So what does Moses do in 1983, his first year with the Sixers? Well, he won the MVP again, giving him three MVP awards for his career. Now, his scoring dropped from 31 points per game with the Rockets to just 24 points per game with the 76ers, but that has more to do with the fact that he was surrounded by other scorers. But he still led the league in rebounding for the fourth time in his career. In 1983, the 76ers were a juggernaut. They finished the regular season with the best record in the league at 65-17. and 17. That was a full seven games better than the next best record, which was the Lakers at 58-24. and 24. Heading into the playoffs that year, Moses predicted that the 76ers would sweep the entire playoffs. 
He gave his famous quote, fo fo fo, as in 4-4-4, meaning that they would sweep all three rounds, four games to none. His prediction nearly came true. They swept the Knicks in the first round, but they lost one game in the Eastern Conference Finals to the Milwaukee Bucks. Then they bounced back in the finals and swept the Lakers. In the four games of the finals, Moses out-rebounded Kareem 72-30. to He dominated Kareem in that series, and the Lakers had no chance. The 76ers were just too good that year. 76ers coach Billy Cunningham even said, quote, the difference from last year was Moses, unquote. Everyone knew that Moses was the player that got the 76ers over the top. So Moses' prediction of fo 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 became fo fi fo as in four games, five games, four games. Their playoff record of 12-1 that season set a new record for playoff dominance. It was not until the 2001 Lakers who went 15-1 in that playoffs that a team thoroughly thrashed the other best teams in the league. Unfortunately, they were not able to repeat in 1984. Moses suffered for some nagging injuries. He still led the league in rebounding, but the whole team was another year older and they were starting to show it. In the summer of 1984, the 76ers had the fifth pick in the draft and needed to bring in some good young talent to go along with their aging veterans. They drafted a country boy from Auburn University by the name of Charles Barkley. Now, this next story illustrates just how amazing Moses was. Barkley showed up to training camp weighing 300 pounds. Now that he had money in his pocket, he was single-handedly keeping the local McDonald's and Pizza Hut in business, and he wasn't playing all that much. He has told this story on TNT a number of times. Barkley happened to live in the same building as Moses and one day he knocked on Moses' door looking for advice. With tears in his eyes, he asked Moses why the coach wasn't playing him that much and Moses told him straight up, because you're too fat. But here is the really great part, as a three-time MVP, Moses took time to work closely with Charles Barkley that season and helped him get down to 250 pounds, which is where Barkley played for the rest of his career. Barkley credits Moses Malone with saving his career. Not a lot of veterans of Moses' caliber would have done that. After another year with the 76ers, Moses moved on to the Washington Bullets, where he played two more All-Star seasons. Then it was off to the Atlanta Hawks, where he played in his final All-Star game. His skills were beginning to diminish, and like a lot of players say, Father Time is undefeated. After three seasons with the Hawks, Moses moved on to the Milwaukee Bucks for two years, where he was moved from being a starter to a role player off the bench. In 1994, he came back to Philadelphia for one season where he played in 55 games off the bench, and then one final season with the San Antonio Spurs where he played only 17 games coming off the bench. There are two ways that Hall of Fame type players choose to end their careers. One is to retire as soon as he feels that his skills are dropping below all-star level. There is a certain level of pride with some all-stars where they do not want to play if they cannot play at that elite level that they're used to. In this category, I think of players like Isaiah Thomas, Kobe Bryant, and Dwayne Wade. And while I miss seeing those guys play, I understand where they're coming from and respect their decision. The other option that some Hall of Fame players take is to continue playing for as long as absolutely possible. They will keep playing until the wheels fall off. In this category, I put players like Robert Parrish, Vince Carter, Grant Hill, and of course, Moses Malone. That takes me back to the beginning of last week's part one of this episode. Watching Moses Malone at the end of his career, when it was obvious that he had virtually nothing left in the tank, 
But I respect that decision too, to play as long as possible. There are very few jobs in the world that pay as well as being an NBA player. So I will never fault a player for trying to do whatever it takes to keep collecting that paycheck. Nothing else in their life will pay them like this, unless your name is Magic Johnson or Michael Jordan, who both have business interests that pay them way more than they ever made as NBA players. But it was really hard to tell from watching Moses as a spur that he had been such a great player in the past. He was just a shadow of his former self, but he was definitely Definitely one of the greatest players of all time. Only eight players in NBA history have ever won three MVPs or more. That list is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar with six MVP awards, then Bill Russell and Michael Jordan with five each, then Will Chamberlain and LeBron James with four each, and then it's Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, and Moses Malone with three apiece. That is rarefied air. There are only eight players in that club, and Moses is one of them. His number 24 jersey is retired by the Houston Rockets, and his number 2 jersey is retired by the Philadelphia 76ers. He also has a statue outside of the 76ers practice facility. In all, he played for 9 different teams across 2 different leagues for a total of 21 seasons as a professional basketball player. When he hung them up after the 1995 season, he closed the book on the ABA. He was the last proud warrior who had played in that upstart league. In his retirement, he came back as an assistant coach for Philadelphia for three years between the years 2006 and 2009. Sadly, we lost Moses on September 13, 2015 of heart disease. He was in a hotel in Virginia getting ready to play in a charity golf tournament. He passed away in his sleep. But let us remember him not only as one of the greatest centers to ever play the game, but also as the last ABA player to retire. Well, that is it for today. That is our profile on the great and underappreciated Moses Malone. Join us next week when we share the story of the friendship between Bill Russell and Will Chamberlain. That's next time on Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com to find out more about this and other sports history podcasts. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcast. And check out our page on Facebook. It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There you will find a shorter historical post as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. I'll also announce there when new episodes come out. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories from the past. Take care and see you soon. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday's Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, 
head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.